your presence in our midst. And we ask that in Jesus' name, you will visit us. Thank you for the open heaven. Speak to every heart, no matter how holy or profane. Every heart is loved of you. Every person is loved of you. You've counted the very hairs on their head. You know them by name. We thank you now for this opportunity to gather. In Christ's name, amen. Well, good morning, Banbury Community Church. Good to see you. Also good to see Michael Varyu. He's back from three weeks in Australia. <clears throat> welcome back. And welcome to all. For those who don't know me, and I don't presume everyone does, and besides, this is a podcast as well as a sermon. My name is Camille Magdaly. I work at a ministry called Teach All Nations, Banbury-based. And it's my good honor and pleasure to give you today's message, Unleashed Presence, based on Acts chapter 5, verses 12 to 15. So what do we learn from Acts 5, 12 to 15? Thank you. <clears throat> well, what we'll do is we'll read it first, and then we'll dive right in. Let's have a deep dive in God's word. So Acts... Chapter 5, beginning with verse 12. <clears throat> Excuse me, can I have, Leanne, hot water? Hot water. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people <clears throat> also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Please note, but the high priests rose up and were f with him, and all that were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison door and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we turned, when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them and wondering what they would come to them. And someone came and told them, look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. 
This is the word of the Lord, and blessed is everyone who hears and does what it says. Let's pray. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for the book of Acts in particular and the word of God in general. It is life unto those that find it and health, healing, medicine to all their flesh. Teach us by your spirit what it means to have unleashed presence in the midst. And we pray we will go away lifted high into the heavenly places because we feasted on your word and we have drunk from the rivers of living water of the Holy Spirit in Christ's glorious name. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. Have a sip. What do we learn from this particular portion of Scripture? The apostles were ministering in a very public place. Now, this is itself a miracle. Remember, not long before, the apostles wouldn't even hang around with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Peter three times denied he even knew him, and now they're in a public place telling the whole world the good news of the gospel. That's the first thing. But there was intimidation, as there always is, when you do anything for God. The people highly esteemed the apostles, but they didn't uh, want to join them yet because they had a fear of what people would see. Remember, Proverbs tells us clearly, the fear of man brings a snare. But whoso puts their trust in the Lord shall be kept safe. However, the intimidation was overcome and people did finally meet with the apostles and they were blessed with salvation, healing, deliverance. Then... What caused them to lose their inhibition? And what caused them to become fearless? Well, I want to propose to you, they overcame their fear and their inhibition because of the presence of God. We're going to learn a little bit more about the presence of God this morning as we attend to his word. Slide two. The presence of God. In Psalm 139, verses 7 to 10, we know that God is everywhere. Where shall I go from thy spirit? And where shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall your hand lead me and your right hand hold me. God is everywhere. But we also know from Luke 5, verse 17, it says the power of the Lord was present to heal. That not only God is everywhere, but God is also somewhere. The key that we're going to learn it is just in a moment, and then we learn from Acts chapter 1, verse 8, wait for the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. When the Holy Spirit's on you, friends, that's the presence of God, for the Holy Spirit is God. So not only is God everywhere, and God is somewhere, God is someone, the person of the Holy Spirit. And now we have the goal. Our goal is not just to make sure God is everywhere. That's a given. Not that he's somewhere. That's also a given. Not that he's someone, of course. What we want is God to come here. Let me tell you, people will drive long distances to come to a house where God is present. I've seen it with my own eyes, and it's true. 
We want God to be here. The book of Acts, which is what I'm speaking from, was written, humanly speaking, by Luke, the beloved physician, the same one who wrote the Gospel of Luke. He may be the only Gentile author in the whole of the Old and New Testament. But he was a great historian, and he wrote the book of Acts as a bridge between the Gospels and the epistles. What's the theme of the book of Acts? It is about the story of the birth and growth of the Christian church. We know that the church was birthed by the Holy Spirit. We know the church grew by the Holy Spirit. We know the church is revived by the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is in the, in the midst, God is in the midst. There is no differentiation. Now, there is a British author. I think he's Anglican, but he's spirit-filled, named Michael Green. Has anyone heard of Michael Green? Oh, okay. He's a known entity. But he wrote a book called 30 Years That Changed the World, the story of the book of Acts. And I'll never forget, this is, I'm, I'm not even referring to notes, it was just that indelible. But he said the people, the church, the early church in the book of Acts was three things, completely fearless, ridiculously happy. How can you be ridiculously happy? You're happy no matter what's going on in the world. That's the kind of happiness I want. 24-7, actually, we call it joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And they were constantly in trouble. Fearless, happy, in trouble. And that's what's going to happen when you welcome the presence of God. You will be fearless, you will be joyful, happy, and you will be in trouble. Not in trouble with God, in trouble with the world. And not so much with the rank card-carrying sinner. Probably more with the religious elite. That's who we'll, you'll have the trouble with, as Jesus did. So let me give you a description of presence. This is my, this is not Michael Green, this is me. Pre presence is when God dwells in us through the new birth, anointing, and infilling of the Holy Spirit. The result is 24-7 access. We are ever online with God. You never log off with God, by the way. Stay online, all right, like ADSL broadband. The supernatural becomes natural and normal. And the closer we get to God, the closer he comes to us. If you're taking notes, I would just encourage you, take a snapshot, because you will get writer's cramps. It's up to you. Presence means proclamation with power. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, the very last words of Jesus before he ascended to heaven. And Christ's last words should be our first priority. He says, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the world. In summary, the empowerment and presence of the Holy Spirit is to make us global prophetic witnesses, witnesses around the block or around the world. Now, we also learn from Proverbs 13, verse 20, he who walks with wise men shall be wise, but the companion of fools shall be destroyed. You will become like the company you keep. If you hang, hang around with rebels and losers, well, that's what you're going to be. You hang around with the wise and prudent, that's what you're going to be. And if you hang around with God, 
in his presence, guess what? You're not going to become God, of course, but you will have the presence of God on you to do all kinds of things you read about in Scripture. You will have an authority that will cause even people of the world to tremble. Authority comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy authority comes from the Word of God as well. You will also bear witness to Christ, not just by your words, but also by your empowered deeds and your sterling character, which is salt and light integrity. And the good thing about the presence of God, it is transmissible. It is contagious. It went from God to Peter. Then it went from Peter to Peter's shadow. And then it went from Peter's shadow to the infirmed. And the infirmed now have the presence of God, and they were all healed. So basically, what we see in Acts is a rerun of the ministry of Jesus, except multiplied, as it's not just one miracle worker, it's many, because they've said yes to the presence. Now, presence also means persecution. This is not a popular topic. I certainly don't particularly like hearing about it, but it is part of the story of Acts. It's, it's, and we, we have an explanation from Galatians 5, verse 16 and 17. Let me read it to you. This is Paul writing, but I say, walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things which you want to do. In other words, people in the flesh will persecute people in the spirit. But again, it's less from the people living the full worldly life. They are the ones that were most attracted to the ministry of Jesus. It's the religious elite with the religious spirit that can be the hindrance. They are works-based. They're legalistic with do's and don'ts. They're contemptuous of anyone who doesn't share their theology. And basically, their superior attitude is contemptuous. Jealousy is very, very much stirred up by the spiritual success of others. Let me tell you, jealousy blinds a person to the heavenly things, while covetousness binds them to the earthly things. If you want a good template of anointing and trouble, look no further than David, the good shepherd. Not as sooner is he anointed by Samuel to be the next king of Israel. And with that anointing came empowerment, authority, favor. He slew Goliath, all that, wonderful. But he incurred the great displeasure of his king and father-in-law, Saul. And there is chapter after chapter after chapter in 1 Samuel telling about David fleeing from Saul. Now, David didn't flee from Saul because he's a scaredy cat, a coward, and the like. He fled from Saul because he didn't want to be in a position to have to kill him and therefore to touch the Lord's anointed. But there is a troubling passage of scripture, and I'm not going to get into heavy theology here except to say in 1 Samuel 16, 14, Saul was anointed, but he displeased the Lord so much, it says God's spirit departed from him, and an evil spirit took his place. Now, please don't worry. Could that be me? Could I be in that hot chair? All I want to say is, without going into the deeper theology, if you stay in the fear of the Lord, you have nothing to worry about. Just remember that, and that should 
answer your questions for now. So Saul became David's worst opponent. But David's greatest fear wasn't Saul. His greatest fear was when he sinned with Bathsheba. And that was a horrible sin because it was not just adultery, but it involved murder as well. He prayed in Psalm 51 verse 11, cast me not away from thy presence and please, whatever you do, God, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. That was a fate worse than death because David was a junkie for the presence of God. Why? Because he was always in the presence of God. When you're in the presence of God and all of a sudden he's not there, you know it. And you'll do everything in your power to be restored. Now, a good example of Saul multiplied many fold were the religious establishment elite in the ministry of Jesus. They were very jealous of his success. Why was he getting all the attention and the love and applaud of the people? And they were just sitting there with their sullen faces. In fact, their hearts were so hardened, they totally ignored all the signs, all the wonders, everything that Jesus did. And I'm reminded of the words of Father Abraham in paradise, speaking to the rich man who was in torments in Luke chapter 16. And the rich man said, look, I'm in torments. Please send Lazarus back to earth so he can warn my five brothers so they won't come to a place like this. And Abraham said, if they don't believe Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded though somebody rise from the dead. And it's true. Lazarus, Jesus' friend, in John 11, rose from the dead. They didn't believe. Jesus himself rose from the dead, and they still did not believe. Because blind, bound people, whether they're blind and bound because of worldliness and sin, or blind and bound because of a religious spirit, want you to share in their blindness, bondage, and misery. So presence and persecution in the book of Acts. We serve in Acts 8.1, great persecution broke out. You know when? When Stephen was martyred. But there was a reason for that. Because God had told them through Jesus that they were to go to the ends of the earth of the gospel. And you know what they did? They stayed put in Jerusalem and would have continued in Jerusalem if it wasn't for a little persecution to get this salt out of the salt shaker and into the world. It had a very strategic purpose. And therefore, in Acts 12, 16, Peter was imprisoned and he would have been executed, but the angel liberated him. In Acts 26, no, Acts 16, excuse me, Acts 16 and 21 and onwards, Paul is in prison. Now, I have a particular theory with Paul I dare tell it to you, please. I'm not disrespectful of one of the greatest people who's ever walked the face of the earth, but it's just a little point of interest. He was told repeatedly, don't go to Jerusalem. If you do, there'll be trouble. There may be death awaiting. It'll be mayhem. So what does he do? He goes to Jerusalem. Now, do an inductive study one day on the book of Acts if you're so interested. And mark every time the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the book of Acts. You will find that from chapters 1 to 21, lots of markings. Go from chapter 21 to chapter 28, the end of the book of Acts, the last 25%. No markings whatsoever, except in the last chapter. I could talk for hours about why, but we know, just leave it for that. And then Acts 7, 54 to 60. 
go from imprisonment to martyrdom. The first of Stephen, then in Acts 12, 16, James, the brother of John, was slain with the sword by Herod Agrippa I. Despite all the pressure the establishment religious elite tried to put on the early church, they actually failed. They failed to distract the church because the apostles dug deeper into the things of God. They failed to intimidate the church because the apostles got bolder. And they failed to destroy the church because the church was explosive in growth. You can say amen to that. I think that's worth it. Can I, does anyone want a quick 30-second master class on handling opposition? Isaac. Genesis 26 is a good example, and the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was the great Hebrew leader of his day. I'll tell you what Nehemiah did when the opposition got on him. He just kept focus on the vision. He didn't stop, and in fact, not only did he keep working, because if you stop working to engage your opposition, they've already won. Keep doing what God has called you to do, and in Nehemiah's case, he did it even faster and harder. So they had a record Rebuilding program of the walls of Jerusalem in 52 days. They pressed, he pressed into God's presence, and when the opponents demanded an answer, he either didn't give it to them or he gave it to them in very succinct terms. Most of the time, when critics come, there's nothing you need to say. Just keep doing what God's called you to do. If God, there are sometimes you may have to respond. The Holy Spirit will give you the words. But Nehemiah was no worse for the wear. Isaac was no worse for the wear. And far than, far than losing their benefit and blessing, they excelled in it, both cases. So presence actually doesn't just mean persecution and prison. It means liberty. Because we know in 2 Corinthians 3.17, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Free in prison. No, Remember, the apostles, I'm thinking of Peter and Silas, not Peter, Paul and Silas in Acts 16 in the Philippian jail. They were, they were imprisoned physically, but they weren't imprisoned spiritually. Let me tell you what really imprisons is carnality, worldliness, sowing to the flesh, living an ungodly life. That is a prison, if ever there is one. Even if you are not incarcerated, it's still a prison. But when you have the spirit of the Lord, even when you're in prison, you're really not bound anymore. That's why carnality makes you imprisoned to sin, even when you're free, but the presence of God makes you free, even if you are in prison. That's why Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, but even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. The word of God is not bound and the Holy Spirit is not bound. So make that your priority. So because of that truth, the angels came in Acts 5. They let the prisoners, Peter and the apostles free. They did a perfect job. They obviously had the keys to the, the jail because they let them out and then locked the jail cell back. And so that when the religious leaders came, everything was locked up. The guards were there. But the prison was empty. And it was empty because there was something more important. And that's proclaiming the good news of this new life. The miracles continued. The commission, Great Commission, also was in operation. Now we get to the practical side. That's the part I've learned 
in my years in Australia, to be practical. Not airy-fairy or off with the fairies, but practical. So what do we need to do to have the presence? If you've been sleeping up to now, this is the time to wake up. <laughs> there is a famous Christian author who will remain unnamed, not that he's done anything wrong, but he wrote in one of his books, I have achieved a certain level of success. I have offices in three continents. I have 30 staff, multi-million dollar budget, name recognition. I go to the, some of the largest churches around. And then he goes on to say, it sounds like he's bragging, right? Then he goes on to say, and I'll happily give all that up just to have the presence of God. Sounds like somebody's got their priorities right. So presence means not your will, but God's will. Not your way, but God's way. Not your day when you feel like it, but his day, every day, starting from today. So how do you get the presence of God? Well, really, relatively simple. You have to be born again, first of all. Everything I've said will be utterly meaningless if you're not born again. Born again is not a religious ritual. It is a rebirth of your human spirit. You're not physically reborn. You don't go back in your mother's womb a second time. It's your human spirit being reborn because you repented and you believed in the gospel. It's a simple, so simple children understand it very, very well. The new birth causes you to see the kingdom of God. Before that, the blinders are on. Then we not only born again of the spirit, we are baptized in the spirit. Acts 1 verse 5, you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This is all God bringing you into his presence. And then, of course, once you're born of the Spirit, baptized of the Spirit, use this wonderful gift to do James chapter 4 verse 8. James chapter 4 verse 8 says, come closer to God and God will come closer to you. Or like the King James, draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto thee. And then by the way, all the miracles and the supernatural manifestations didn't come in a vacuum. Acts 6 verse 4, the apostles gave themselves over to prayer and the ministry of the word. They loved to pray. I don't know how many of you love to pray. I know most of you want to pray. But even the apostle Paul confessed in Romans 8, we don't, collectively, including him, we don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself speaks through us with groanings that cannot be uttered. It's important that we develop a life of prayer. Without prayer, we become weak. Like Samson, shorn of his locks, we become weak like any other man. Billy Graham and other great Christians have said it repeatedly. A prayerless Christian is a powerless Christian. Now, God is still everywhere, but he's not living in power for the prayerless. And then, John, by the way, here's a key to it. John 7, 37 to 39, Jesus says, is any man thirsty? This is back to the Holy Spirit. Anybody, man, thirsty, come to me and drink. He that believes out of his innermost being will come rivers of living water. You want, are you dried out and want the presence? 
will come to Jesus and drink. You won't be dry for much longer. You may have to stay in that environment and rehydrate. That's fine, but stay. Now, I'm going to talk for a moment on a very important subject about presence of God. Are you ready for this? It's called prayer and fasting. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> prayer and fasting. Now, I have to be careful in this because usually when I talk about fasting, somebody will go out and do a fast, which is, of course, the idea. But sometimes they go overboard. Like I told one man, he was a military doctor in South Africa. He had never fasted a meal in his life. And I told him about prayer and fasting. And you know what he does? He goes on a 40-day water fast, loses all this weight, causes great concern of his commanders a higher up. Why is he losing weight? Is he sick? And then when they found out why, he was not eat, why he's not eating, they sent somebody from, a th from Pretoria to Cape Town, <laughs> thousand miles to find out who's this man endangering national security by refusing to eat. So please, let's be sensible. What is fasting, voluntary abstinence from food, and sometimes drink, in the case of Queen Esther, it is the key for gaining spiritual power. It is a biblical practice. Now, there are two books I'm recommending if you want to fast. Remember, you know why people give up food for a short time? It works. That's why they do it. Even non-Christians know the power of fasting. That's why they do it. It does actually work. It connects you to the supernatural, both <laughs> good and bad. But don't worry, Christ is with you. Greater is he in you than he is in the world. But Isaiah 58 is the fasting chapter. And so bear that in mind. Make sure you're healthy enough to fast. If you have any doubts, because there's some people who probably shouldn't, then go ask your doctor. They might think you're crazy, but as long as you're healthy, that's all that matters. Let me tell you, it will connect you to the supernatural. You will feel God more intimately, and it will help to answer your prayers. I'll tell you a story of myself. When I was 23, I was studying in Jerusalem, and I had a desire to be a preacher and to travel the world for Jesus. That's a, it's a wonderful desire. Nothing wrong with that. And I did, went on a liquid fast for 17 days. And in that liquid fast, that was my prayer. I want to preach. I want to travel the world for Jesus. I told no human what I was doing. Only God knew. And I did it. And after the 17th day, God said, you've, you've been heard. You can eat again. I thought I'd wait till the three weeks, but I didn't have to. So why miss meals needlessly? Two months later, I was preaching. The pastor came to me and said, you can preach now. Never said that I wanted to, ever. God did it. And within less than a year, I made my first trip for Jesus, a very unconventional trip. I won't tell you what it was at this point, but it was what thrust me into full-time ministry, and I've been in full-time ministry ever since. Praise God. Fasting does work, and history has been changed because people have prayed and fasted and brought the presence of God in the midst. Talking about bringing God or heaven down, let me give you an exhortation. If you want the presence, the practical exhortation, it's time, friends, to praise the Lord. 
Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. That's the last verse of the Psalms. If you're breathing, you're qualified to praise God. The only ones who do not need to praise God are exempted from praising God are the dead. Psalm 115, the dead praise not the Lord. The physically dead do not, and the spiritually dead do not either. So we don't want to be dead. We want to be alive to God. It says in Psalm 22, verse 3, that God inhabits the praises of Israel. You want God in the midst, you create a throne for him through your praise. And let me just say, the Hebrew people were very exuberant. They weren't prim, prom, prim, 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 prim and I haven't said that in years, prim and proper. They weren't prim and proper with a stiff upper lip. They were really, just look at David. He didn't just praise the Lord. He danced, he leaped, he twirled before the Lord. I'm not saying we have to do that today. But what I am saying is, if you want the presence of God, you will praise God. Look at Paul and Silas in Acts 16. They were unjustly imprisoned and beaten having done nothing wrong except preaching the gospel in Philippi, at midnight, when they should have been sound and asleep due to sheer exhaustion because of their mistreatment, what are they doing? They are praying and singing praises to God so audibly the other prisoners heard them. Now, there's an old African-American preacher, and he put it this way. When God heard the singing from Paul and Silas, because heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool, his feet went a-tapping. God's feet went a-tapping. And when his feet went a-tapping, it caused an earthquake. And when it caused an earthquake, the prison doors were open. Whatever the way you want to put it, praise and worship brought liber liberation to the apostles and to all of us. Now, the liberating presence inside gave them liberty to go outside. Two quotes I want to give you. One is not mine, the other is mine. So praises to the heavens, I've given it before, and God will rain down blessing on the earth. You want the presence, you want the answered prayer, you want the blessing, so praises. Don't be sedate about it. Forget your dignity, forget your pride, forget what people are going to say. Who cares? What you care about is what God says and what God does and when you have the presence, again, you will have the blessing. Offer an upload of praise, and a prayer and praise, and God will give you a download of presence, prophecy, and power. Let me say it again. Offer an upload of prayer and praise, and God will give you a download of presence, prophecy, and power. Final exhortation. If you want the presence, let me give you a recommendation. Do you want to learn how to pray with power and effectiveness? Recommendation. You can read 100 books on how to pray and how to praise, and that's okay if you have time for 100 books. Or you can do something better. Go to a red-hot prayer meeting. You will learn how to pray. You might be the frozen chosen when you enter in, but you'll be thought out and set free when you leave. Tomorrow night, the Banbury Community Church has a prayer meeting. It normally attracts about 20 people, and it's a hot prayer meeting. I am happy to be in such a prayer meeting. That's what I'm used to. That's what Leanne is used to. And that's what's going to happen. So if you're feeling the need for the presence, why don't you come along tomorrow night? 
at the Banbury Cricket Club at 7.30 and join with your brothers and sisters in passionate, pulsating, powerful prayer. It will not be for the faint-hearted, but it will be rejuvenating to the core. So we'll see you there. So in challenging times like these, and friends, I specialize not just in Bible, but what's happening in the world. And I've shared briefly on that from here. There's a lot to pray about. But in challenging times like these, when you have the presence of God, you have nothing to worry about. Get Jesus into the boat. No more storm. Bring God into the situation. No more problem. You've got the solution before you. And with that in mind, let's stand and pray. Father, we thank you for the book of Acts chapter 5, for unleashed presence in the midst. We thank you, Father, you are so close to us. As Rachel put it earlier this morning, you are willing. You are willing. If we will draw closer to you, you will draw closer to us. But God, it must be on your terms, on your timing, and your territory. Your terms is to come. The timing is now. The territory is the altar. Your term, your timing, your territory. I pray there'll be people who will say no to the old life and the old ways and the self-centeredness and the carnality and come. I pray for those that may have that religious, judgmental, do's and don'ts spirit that they also will come. And that, Father, you will visit us with your power, your blessing, your purity, and every other good and perfect gift. Bless each and every one that hears this message, whether in person or on podcast. We praise you for the word of God. It will not return void. It will accomplish what you have purposed for it. Bless each and every one. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. amen. Well, friends, I, before we close, I'm opening the altar. There's people who need to come closer to God so God can come closer to you. It may be you, where you stand spiritually could vary, but the need is still the same. And the remedy is still the same. Come to Jesus and drink. He stands at the door and he knocks. If you hear his voice and open the door, he will come in. And you know, remember, that was not said to the unchurched. That invitation was said to the church at Laodicea. Open the door he will come.